you putting yourself in the younger category, Joe? Well, I, as I said that, I was like, oh man, I'm in the middle. I don't like that. Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries. And we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Scattered. Um, Happy New Year. I'm guessing most people will be listening to this in the new year. It's not actually Christmas yet as we're recording. But um, yeah, Happy New Year to all our listeners. We are starting in Chapter 5 of 1 Timothy today. And up to now, we've seen Paul, the older minister, writing to encourage his younger brother in the faith, Timothy, in a church that's tricky, with lots of doctrinal issues, with some false teaching. And I think in this chapter, we really move into Paul helping Timothy to know how to manage the people under his care and in a way that keeps the main things the main things. So we we might surmise that some good things have become main things in the church. And so Paul writes quite directly as his, his style to Timothy, encouraging him how to manage people. So, ladies, I guess as we jump in at the beginning of chapter five, I'm with Mary and Juliet this morning. In verses one and two, we see that sort of continuation from the last chapter of the older man trying to encourage Timothy how to manage relationships within the church as a young man and a young pastor. What do you think we can learn from verses one and two as we listen in on that council? Yeah, he's really trying to encourage um, the church to have respectful interactions with all members within the church so with all people older than you and with people younger than you he's encouraging us to look to those who are older than us as like fathers or mothers and then people who are younger than us as brothers or sisters and at the end he says of verse two he says in all purity and I think that's what he's trying to outline like that our interactions with each other would be without any hint of like impurity or uh, unhelpful interactions. Yeah, because we've already discussed, haven't we, that Timothy was young for a leader. So I guess Paul feels the need to encourage him to be gentle in his interactions with especially people who are older than him. It's all about honour and respect, isn't it? Like if this chapter as a whole, chapter five, it's kind of, I mean, if you look at verse three, give proper recognition. And then later on, it talks about in verse 17, like honor again. And then again, in chapter six, we're going to be talking about how to treat slaves. I mean, obviously, we don't have slaves, but in those days, people did. Yeah. And I think like at the start, it seems strange that he says, do not rebuke an older man, because later on in this chapter, we'll see that he actually says, he encourages him to rebuke those who are elders in verse 20. And actually, this is more comment on how he should do it. A correction respectfully rather than actually a really harsh response or overly harsh rebuke. Yeah, in those days, especially in that culture and actually in the culture that I live in now, and I think the culture that you're in, Juliet, there's a lot more honour and respect given to elders than we do in the West. So 
that speaks into that culture. But actually, I think we've lost some of that in the West. And I think it's sad because it's so easy, isn't it, to... I think just thinking wider than just rebuke, but it's so easy to disrespect and dishonor our elders by kind of thinking they're weak. And yeah, I think I think this is a helpful reminder to to love them well and, and not speak harshly to them. Yeah, and I, I was reflecting a little bit of a danger, I think, in churches is that we just hang out with people like us that are our, our sort of age bracket. And so it's just, this paints a really beautiful picture, doesn't it, of actually we're supposed to be relating to people at different stages to us but as a family and yeah that's a challenge isn't it because it's easy to relate to people that are like you and it's harder to show that respect to people of an in an older generation and a respect to what they think as well because so often we think well as the younger ones that we we are holding the truth better than they are whereas there is such a honor isn't there given to their wisdom and their experience go on mary sorry are you putting yourself in the younger category, Joe? Well, I, I, as I said that, I was like, oh, man, I'm in the middle. And I don't like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say, as a side note, when my husband saw what passage we were studying today, he he said, oh, this is the verse. So verse two, this is the verse that encouraged me to in, in courting, like treating women, younger women as sisters with absolute purity, because Timothy as a young man man in the church probably had to be really careful how he related to younger women and or or his peers as women because obviously it would be easy to be accused of flirting or you know too much attention and I think in our relationship when we were courting Dave and I like this verse Dave always tried to treat me like he would a younger sister until we were married so yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I guess it's a reminder for people, couples, like, could could this verse be a verse that you turn to when you're thinking about how you behave towards each other? We are, I don't know if it's quoting, relevant. We are quoting this verse regularly to my eldest child at the minute, who's in exactly that position. <laughs> Great. Okay. So, yeah, it's it, there's a big vision, isn't there, for family relationships, making sure that, that the way we relate well in families, like, crosses over into church. Now, the rest of this chapter is all about widows. So I'd love us to zoom out a little bit and have a think about what the rest of the Bible tells us about how God views widows, because I think that's going to help us look at the detail of this passage. Mary, any Hermione, have you channeled any of your inner Hermione in the absence of Helen to help us with this? (laughs) No, but I, I did read through. So I read through the Bible really slowly. I never do it in a year. I do it in about four years. But I'm always struck in the Old Testament how much God talks about widows, how much he wants the widows to be cared for and protected. I mean, in the Psalms, if you even look at the Psalms, like he's called protector of the widows, upholder of the widow. I guess we lose, again, in our context in the West, we lose the significance of it because we have benefit systems and lots of support systems for older women who maybe have lost their husband or even younger women but in the culture that Timothy is in losing your husband in those days was like catastrophic because he would have been your security your protection especially if you had no sons or or sons who were old enough to care for you it would have been 
really difficult to have enough money to live, especially if you were alone. And again, that's the same where I am now, where I live at the moment in South Asia. Losing your husband is, or a son, even a son, is, is really catastrophic for your future financial security. Juliet, are you with us? We're, we're struggling a bit with Juliet. She's either, she's either sitting very still. Transfixed by your wisdom, Mary. Uh-huh. Or... But I guess the overview, I guess the overview is that God understands the plight of widows and he wants them to be cared for throughout the whole bible yeah we can definitely see uh, even when the laws are given to the israelites there are so many laws that are there to safeguard widows against neglect or abuse you can see that in deuteronomy chapter 26 27 or 20 yeah 26 and 27 and yeah, they're really seen as like very vulnerable vulnerable members of society because they're named along with like orphans and those who are poor and those who are refugees. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, the laws are there just to protect and to ensure that no one's taking advantage of them. And yeah, I think we, well, you guys did Ruth earlier on, and you can see within the story of Ruth how those protections are in place in this leveret, or I don't know how to say it, leveret marriage system. Yeah, and just the way that Boaz left the corner of the the edges of the field for Ruth to glean, to provide for her mother-in-law, like all that, it was, yeah, there's a beautiful picture of it, worked out well, isn't there, in Boaz and Ruth. The other thing that I was struck by was Jesus on the cross and the way that he's aware that his mother now is a widow without a child, without, you know, as as he's dying and that he's so concerned to ask John to look out for his mother. So we even see that worked out, don't we, in Jesus Mm. himself wanting to provide for his mum because he sees her, the vulnerability that she's going to be left in without him. So, yeah, I guess big picture, we see that God's really concerned, isn't he? And um, just loves the vulnerable and cares for them. Okay, so then we're, now I'm putting in a cheeky question now that I hadn't hadn't written down. So sorry, just to throw you. There's two paragraphs then where Paul talks about widows. I just wonder if you did any reading around what potentially the problems were that made him write this or what might have been happening in the church there that caused him to write such specific things about how widows should be dealt with? I got the impression from my reading that there were women whose husbands had died who were going around, I don't know if this is right, but were going around kind of doing ministry with the church, but actually, you know, and visiting people's homes and actually ending up kind of being gossip mills for the community because it became, instead of them just doing ministry, I mean, I struggled with reading this because I felt it was a bit patronizing. Some of the things that Paul says here, like I'm looking at verse, verse 13, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house and, you know, they're busybodies who talk nonsense. And I just felt like, 
I just struggled to read that because it felt a bit condemning of these women. But I guess, yeah, the context is that potentially under the banner of doing ministry, they were actually kind of going around the church and just kind of spending time with people and gossiping and not really doing ministry. I don't know what you guys read. Yeah, the commentaries I read didn't comment that much about what the existing problems were, but you can see what they potentially would be from what Paul, uh, from what Paul is saying, because he critis- openly says those things, doesn't he? Because he's saying that this, these things are happening. They're wandering from house to house and being gossips. So you can see how that might be happening. And the other thing I think that was happening was younger widows were losing their husbands, kind of making this pledge, I'm never going to marry again, I'm going to, you know, basically be a nun and go around doing ministry, you know, I'm going to give my life to the Lord. And then like a year or two later, meeting someone or, or whatever, however it works in that society, worked in that society, but then desiring to get married again but then in that desire kind of breaking this I'm particularly focusing on verse 12 here it talks about breaking their first pledge and bringing judgment on themselves so I guess he's talking to these women who he doesn't want them to enter into some kind of promise that they then have to break because they desire to get married when they're older yeah that's great okay so I just thought it was helpful to try and piece together a little bit of what was going on and some of the problems they were having and then I guess if we were doing this today this feels a bit like the the church policy now on Mm. widows that Paul's writing and sending to Timothy like this is how we're going to do this this is how we're going to manage it this is how we're going to do it well so in that first paragraph verses three to eight what do you see there as Paul's primary concern is Juliet gone again (laughs) yeah well she's we're really boring her yeah, she looks really bored. I feel like I'm just going to come across as such a loud mouth on this, but never mind. Juliet's frozen, for those who are listening. Mary's not trying to dominate the conversation. No, I just want to say all my stuff. Three to eight. What's the question? What's the primary, what's his primary concern in this passage, in this paragraph? What is it that he's encouraging Timothy to do? Yeah, I guess he's prioritising love, love well those widows who truly need it so obviously take into account their situation how much help they have so in verse five it says the widow who is really in need and left all alone because in that society actually family should and would have stepped in to provide for a widow but yeah make sure that you're looking out for the ones that really do need it and oh Juliet's back for you so it's just saying that he's setting out like a policy, Juliet, for how to manage yeah. widows. And Mary's picked up on the fact that actually it's only there's not, there's only going to be support. Because I think that word honour in verse three does have a financial implication with it, that where there's going to be some financial support for these ladies. And Mary was saying one of the criteria is that they they ha- they have to not have family that can do that. So. Yeah, what was the there was another criteria actually I spotted. What what do you think is the other thing that he's bothered about? Yeah, so um in verse five, there's a stipulation that she's a widow who has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. And so it's the 
hope that actually committed believers, a bit like before when we saw different criteria for deacons and overseers, this is wanting to make sure that this widow is actually a true believer and is yeah not just there so that she can get this financial support but actually committed to god and committed to prayer does that feel mean to you that paul's saying only support widows that are believers yeah well i think this is like i think the problem then was that this was happening within the church body so when we look in acts that actually within acts they were saying actually within us believers there are so many widows that need caring for and so the people were selling their possessions and giving generous generously and sharing and so i think it was like a position where within the church body we have people who are in need and we're not sharing with them and in that way it's like i guess when Paul says that we are brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. We're, it is like a family, right? And so we suddenly have this responsibility to each other that that is different to outside. And I doubt that he's saying, like, don't give to other people. I think this is just in the context of family, like Juliet's saying. So but I, I think I'm as sure well. They... No, no, carry on. I just, I appreciated the realistic nature of it, that resources are limited aren't they and it's you can't help everybody all the time and so actually just like you do with your family there is a sense in which you care for your family members don't you if you if yeah if your resources are limited and you can't help everybody you do you have a responsibility first to your family so yeah I just found it quite refreshing that he was being honest about the reality of that just enjoying Juliet's freeze frame <laughs> yeah that that's quite a peaceful one though yeah. That's her meditation. Meditating. Yeah, she's meditating. Yeah. I'm, I'm just ready for her to lift off the seat and like levitate because she looks so peaceful. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The other thing then that comes across in this, which I think does have some application for us, is the encouragement from Paul to make sure that you're looking after your own family members appropriately. What reasons does he give Mary for us to do that? Yeah. So there's first four, which I mean, it's talking about a widow putting their religion into practice by caring for their own family, repaying their parents and grandparents. And I was struck by this. I was listening to Alistair Begg, who's one of my faves, preach on this passage. And he was talking about, because he's getting to the age now where his kids are providing for themselves, or had at that time when he preached the sermon. And he was struck by how much parents pay towards their kids you know, education needs, prams, you know, throughout their childhood. And in our society in the West, uh, especially, there is no kind of return of that in a way. You know, adults are encouraged to have a pension and to rely on that pension. And it's almost seen as embarrassing to have to ask your children for anything or to rely on any way. On your children but actually it's kind of biblical I think and honoring and loving to think are we is this something that we again are missing out on in the west like are we loving our parents well yeah they might not need our financial support 
but are we checking in on them and ringing them and caring about them? I'm really terrible at being in touch well with my parents and loving them physically, especially as I'm overseas. But yeah, sorry. So that was a bit of a ramble about verse four. I don't like the word kind of repaying, but in a way it's fair, isn't it? I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, <laughs> I think when I grew up, my mum made it clear that I would be repaying. <laughs> Once I started earning money, she was like, okay. <laughs> and it's clear that my parents don't have, like, not don't have money, they have plenty of money. So it felt strange, like we were giving from a position of less to like them who had much more and but actually I think it was more the idea of honoring that was like in that action and yeah I've learned from then my mum puts it aside into a pot which she then like gives to us when we have needs so it's quite a nice way of sharing but also having that honoring action I I when you were talking Mary I was thinking a little bit about just how we're so individualistic, aren't we, in the West now? Our thinking is so, oh, this is my money. This is for me and for my immediate family. And, yeah, even our parents get blocked out of that thinking at times, don't they? Because we're, we've just moved into such individualistic thinking. And I guess the Bible is a really helpful tonic to that, isn't it? Because, like Paul says throughout this passage, you you know, you have a responsibility to your parent because of that relationship. and you, that's that's the first place that parents should come is family isn't it before the church even and I think like in all these things we need to keep having in mind that actually God wants the best for us I think it's so hard isn't it for us to part with money because where our money is is where our heart is and um our hearts are sadly more often on ourselves rather than other people. And so in this, I feel like God's just helping us to keep having a mind that's loving other people and not just with our words, but with our money as well. And I think it's just like a a, a really big challenge to see actually, you know, are we yeah having the freedom to be actually able to do this and do we count it a joy to be able to share like this yeah that's a really good reminder isn't it where our money is there our heart is also yeah that's true so if we're seeing that in this first paragraph that the two conditions before the church would help is that the widow is really needy and that she doesn't have family and that she's a believer how, how do you think those two principles can be applied to today and to our church situations yeah because I guess in actually Juliet while you're here why don't you answer yeah uh, I think well I think probably it looks quite different in the church now because in the UK quite a lot of people have a lot of support in terms of like the government support so I guess probably the vulnerable people within our congregations are quite different they might be like the refugees and asylum seekers. I don't know. Or there's probably people who are like single mothers with no families that are struggling financially. It's worth us thinking about like who are these vulnerable people within 
our communities now and how can we be supporting them and sharing yeah that's really helpful Julia isn't it thinking about where the gaps are in um for for different it's different groups now isn't it where there's gaps in support and how we can support believers that yeah you're, you're definitely right that it is people that have arrived from overseas from difficult situations that aren't even allowed to work in the UK initially are they so that's a helpful reframing isn't it of the principles and how generous are we to those people within our congregations okay paragraph two what main the main things that Paul's talking about in paragraph two from verses nine to the end of our passage so again it's a it's a question of like enrollment of these widows and I guess it's quite a serious commitment from the church then because they are committing to support widows probably to the end of their lives. And so they're wanting to make sure that they've got this criteria to help them choose. And I think their rationale is, again, trying to see that they have genuine faith and that people are not just joining the community for the sake of getting this benefit but actually they are true believers and there's like a two-way commitment like a commitment from the body to support them financially and a commitment from the widows to pray and to support the community in that way yeah it's interesting isn't it what he picks up on is the the contribution that sort of older ladies often can make to church life and i think i definitely I have a little prayer meeting on a Monday lunchtime here and it's mainly full of older ladies that are just really excited to pray for what's going on in church and they can't always be involved in the frontline ministry but they're really committed to praying week by week and if I've got my kids off school and can't do it they're not happy because they're really keen to be praying so yeah that's a good illustration isn't it of and a lot of them are widows actually whose husbands have died so yeah it's it's good isn't it Paul's really good at seeing the the gifts and the things that people can bring even if their circumstances are different Mary any other thoughts from this paragraph I just found verses 11 to 15 a little difficult to read because obviously yeah he's quite strong in his condemnation of younger women and he believes that they should get remarried because if they commit to, you know, serving the church in the way that the older women might, then they'll probably get tempted and turn away. I don't know. I just struggled with that a bit. I, th- I imagine people who write these essays about Paul being a chauvinist include this passage every time because, you know, we know that Paul is gracious and loving and he's just wanting to care for the church but I think when you read things like this uh, directed specifically towards women it's it's a hard read isn't it but I guess it's important to remember isn't it like we talked about at the beginning that he's writing this specifically to Timothy who's struggling with specific things and so yes it does you know we do want to apply it to us but primarily it was written to that church that was struggling with those issues and that you know that's helpful isn't it to think he's not writing this directly to us now of course god can use it down the centuries but he was writing into a really specific situation wasn't he and yeah i find that 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 reduces my heckles when i read it 
because actually if there were women at church here doing that it would be really disruptive to gospel work wouldn't it and I guess as well like it's when I was new Christian I was part of a network of Christian camps where I was aware of young men making pledges to singleness bachelors till the rapture that's what they called it at my university really and I just think actually this is a helpful reminder isn't it to you know in the passion of your youth or in the difficulty of losing someone close to you or whatever you can make these rash promises or set out these unrealistic expectations for your life and then 10 years later you might think completely differently I mean I'm married to someone who made a pledge not to date for an entire year of his CU presidency and then like one month later fell for me so and that produced a whole load of difficulties you're just so irresistible Mary (laughs) but I do you know I do think like I don't necessarily always think that God asks these things of us but we like in our kind of pride and youth and passion we're like I'm gonna do this for God and God's like okay well let's just see how that goes shall we (laughs) so yeah it's a reminder of that I guess yeah, and again, he, he, Paul's really practical, isn't he? And he knows that how most of those pledges will play out. All those bachelors are now married from my CU days as well. And so, yeah, yeah I think we can all relate to those sort of stories, can't we? That it's just not realistic. And yeah, I, I think one of the most helpful things I find from this passage is Paul's really realistic, isn't he, about people. He understands people well, and he's realistic about the limitations that there is in what churches can do, but yeah, also the limitations on our zealous passion. Any other takeaways or things that have challenged or helped you from this passage? Well, I think I was just generally challenged to, yeah, be thinking about how I can live more generously and looking out for who are the vulnerable people around us. And I think it's the challenging thing (laughs) because... I know for a lot of people, the most stressful thing in their lives can be money. And so just even thinking about like giving can be quite a a challenging thing. So I've been definitely been challenged. This passage, when you it's one of those passages when you first read it and you're like, oh, well, Paul's talking to Timothy about a bunch of widows, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So I'm just going to skip over this bit but actually like we've been saying the principle is there how as a church and as individuals are we looking out for the vulnerable and don't do it blindly like do it wisely there are people who come to churches because they know that Christians are pushovers so there's the kind of love them well but love them wisely that I kind of get from this passage yeah that's really helpful I I would say the the food bank that we've developed since COVID at St. Clement's has been on that journey. You know, we started really broad. Anybody could come, anybody could have whatever they wanted. And over time, we've sort of learned these lessons, which it's been helpful to see actually, you know, Paul having a list of widows. Actually, we have a list of people that qualify for that provision because it's limited, isn't it? And we don't have endless resources. But yeah, it's encouraging to read this and think, oh, the Apostle Paul agrees so and yeah I think the big challenge for my heart is just just as we talked this morning 
is against individual just caring about my immediate family that's that's the culture we live in isn't it and this is so good to just expand our hearts to look to who actually is vulnerable and in need and how can I meet that and that might be at personal cost mightn't it but that's a really good thing because that grows our hearts Mary you've got a last thought for us I was just gonna say because I was struck by verse 14 which says to give the enemy no opportunity for slander so just in the context of the church loving each other well and looking out for each other well we are a witness to those outside the church like we the way we love our elderly the way we love our vulnerable is definitely should be a draw to others because it should be beautiful it should be sacrificial and hopefully speaks of Jesus's love for the vulnerable and the needy so yeah there's that aspect as well isn't it when we do it well it's good for the church but also it's good for drawing people in very well said my friend great to do this study with you ladies thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you next week for the next part of chapter five bye bye, bye.